Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in the, the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, the Bible is kind of split into two halves. There's the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came and walked on the earth. And then there's the New Testament. Uh, and the New Testament starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of those tell the story of the life of Jesus. So we'll be in the book of John, fourth book in the New Testament. To get us started, uh, story. Um, I have two daughters, and both of them, in the last few years... Uh, got married. Here are pictures of my daughters, and they got, uh, they got married. And one of the things that I decided to do as a dad before their wedding day is I would write them or share with them kind of like a final dad love letter to my daughters before they, you know, entered into this covenant with their husbands. Seemed like a good thing to do. Uh, I can describe for you, on the right is my daughter Leah, many of you know Leah, mostly how my amazing plan worked out was the day of her wedding, I tried to tell her really important things that I had notes in front of me, but mostly I just cried. That's all that happened. I began with something like, <laughs> And so then we spent the next several minutes with her coming across the room toward me saying, are you okay? And me saying, no. And she consoled me. And then I gave her my notes and said, you should read this. So that was the first try. Oh, by the way, after the first try, my daughter Leah then, it's a few weeks later, said, because Anna, you know, would get married someday and she said, Dad, um, whenever you uh, do that, whatever you tried to do with me to Anna, do not do that on her wedding day, was she gave me some advice. So I was more prepared for Anna, who just got married this last December, and I had, every, I had, a, uh, I had pretty meticulous notes, and I was emotionally ready. I'm just going to read this to her. And uh, I got almost through the whole thing. And then again, I got to the point where I was going to tell her how much I, I love her. And I bawled. And she came across the room and patted me on the back and said, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. All right. Uh, I tell you the story to introduce a principle that I think we can all agree on. There are some things that are so important that they are destined to trigger emotion in us. There are things that are so important in our life, we can't help but get emotional. So for me, it was just my daughters, and I would say the same thing about my son. Uh, I cried. For others, it could be something even uh, as... Uh, for some of us, it's God. Like when we begin to talk about God or certain things, there's an emotion that comes up. And it, it may not be a crying emotion. It may be a joyful emotion. 
I've seen emotion come out. Recently, we had a, a Super Bowl party here at the church, and I came to it, and I was sitting like right over here. And at one point, the big, we had the big screen down, and, and uh, one of the guys, one of the football players, took the ball, and he was running, and, and it was a good run where he was taken off and running, and the woman in front of me stood up. Nobody else was standing up. We were watching the game. She stood up, and she was like, run, run, run. I think the game was more important to her than some of us. For some of you, we, there's all kinds of emotions, right? Sometimes we get angry because things are important to us. Like, this is my lane, Mr. Driver. Don't get in my lane. And we get emotional about it. So we're going to shift here. Uh, most of us may know this, but this idea of important things Stirring up emotion also applies to God. We have the opportunity to know and serve a God who has emotion. And every once in a while in the Bible, we will see it. So here's a couple of examples. In Mark chapter 1 from the New Living Translation, there's a man with leprosy and he kneels in front of Jesus. And in verse 41, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He's getting emotional about this. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, it mentions God's anger was aroused. It says, now the people complained about their hardships, and it says his anger was aroused. Proverbs 6.16 tells us that there are six things the Lord hates. That sounds pretty strong. You might want to look that up. It actually goes on to say seven things that are detestable to him. Might want to find that list, you guys. So that's Proverbs 6, 16, all right? Pro, you might want to write that down. Just might help you get through the afternoon without honking God off. And in Psalm 37, and I think this qualifies in, as an emotion, in verse 13, it says the Lord laughs. Isn't that interesting? So hold those thoughts. Um, we're kicking off this series called Raw. When God gets emotional. And basically what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to check out some of the uh, more noticeable moments recorded in history where we see some of the emotions of God. Now the hope in this is we're going to study this stuff so that we will know more about what is important to God. Because I think it's a safe assumption, right? Emotions follow things that are important. The other thing I, I hope, so we'll get to know who God is. It'd be good to know what God prioritizes and, prioritizes and what's important to him. The other thing is, I think we can all probably benefit by studying what is important to God because there are times we get twisted up because they should be lesser important things, but we get all emotionally involved in stuff. I am so grateful that, I get to, that I'm getting to know God more and more because there are times I'll start to get cranked up about something and then God will be like, really? And he will help me get less cranked up about lesser things and I'm also glad because there are times I'm convinced we should probably get more emotional about certain things than we do. Today we're going to look 
at a section, at a story in John where Jesus weeps, which is kind of rare. And so in John 11, here's what we need to know. Jesus is well into his public ministry. He's probably a year or two into it. He's uh, developing the 12 disciples. He's teaching publicly. He's healing. In the midst of all his ministry, he's also kind of developed an extended friend group. He's got different people, different places that he knows. And in this present situation, one of his friends, his name is Lazarus, and he has a sister named Mary and Martha, so they, he knows these people, and Lazarus is getting seriously ill. So Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus and basically say, hey, Lazarus, you know him, your friend Lazarus is really, really sick, and invites Jesus to come and heal him. Long story short, Jesus doesn't get there in time. And so Lazarus dies. A couple verses before the meat of where we'll land, like in verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for, for four days. Now, something I don't know is how many days before they put him in the tomb, just so you know. Maybe it was right away. But anyway, he's at least four days late. Verse 21 then says, Martha said to Jesus, this is one of Lazarus' sisters, she says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus goes on from there, and he is now going to uh, be with Mary, and a group of other people with Mary, and they are crying over the death of Lazarus. So we'll pick it up in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, that's Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35 is actually, I believe, the shortest verse in the whole Bible. You guys ready? Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? A couple more verses. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of of God. And to finish the story, Jesus raised this man out of that tomb, out of the grave. Uh, title of the talk is Jesus Weeps. And I want to explore the question, what's he crying about? Like, what stirred him so much? What, why did he get emotional in this situation? So let me pray, give you some ideas. Father, pray for today. I pray for the next six weeks that you would expand our understanding of things that you're passionate about and that those things would affect us. I do confess, Lord, that 
I'm not sure. Uh, no, that's not right. I'm pretty sure, Lord, we could use some help prioritizing the most important things. So in the next few weeks, would you help us make learn more about your priorities so that our priorities might be more aligned? And I also, I'm sorry, sorry, folks, I'm just praying for a while because I just feel like I should pray for that. So. <laughs> God, we're kind of messed up emotionally in our culture. We could use some help knowing when to have more joy, knowing how to have joy, knowing what things are worth crying about. And so we just confess our need for you to be our teacher and our developer. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a couple things today. Are you ready? A couple things you can write down. Anybody, anybody ready? Just need one person to respond. I appreciate it. Here's the first thing. Jesus cried about others' emotional pain. Others, what we're going to call emotional pain. I don't think this point will be too hard to follow. Emotional pain. Verse 33, Jesus saw her weeping. I think that was Mary. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. And then it says he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. So I think what happened here was, of course, he, well, he sees Mary and he likes Mary. Mary's a friend. And so she's, she's crying. And then he looks around and then there's more people crying. And have you ever been part of a cry fest where like someone's crying and then someone else cries. And all of a sudden you feel like you're going to cry. Because crying seems to be the thing to do. So some of this is happening in Jesus. Which makes sense to us. Have you, have you done it? I was recently, uh, oh, <clears throat> during the baptisms this morning. Testimony and baptisms. Uh... When one of them was sharing the testimony, I think it was Jaden, I'm over there going, oh, because oh, oh, I'm beginning. I hope, hope nobody starts crying in here because I'm about ready to bust out crying. Have you ever made the I'm almost crying sound where you try not to cry and then it starts to come out cry? I was at a, <clears throat> at a movie recently, uh, and I'm going to promote this movie. It's called Jesus Revolution, and it's a story about when God was doing some great things. And so I'm at this movie, and there were some testimonies in the movie. And I'm sitting there, and someone was talking about how much, you know, Jesus has changed their life. And I don't know why. I start tearing up in the movie theater, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And I actually made a sound in the movie theater, almost crying. I, uh. And then, you know, you're stuffing it all in. <laughs> so somewhere in there... Jesus has got all this going on, and Mary's crying, and the Jews are crying. It is, I just thought of this last night when I was thinking about it. And Jesus just goes ahead. Like he, I'm sure he had the capacity and the power to stuff it, but he didn't. He just cried along with them. Just so you know, this compassionate connection to people who are hurting emotionally, it's part of who God is. Some Bible verses. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Goes on to say, And saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Mark chapter 1, we already looked at this. There's a man with leprosy. By the way, leprosy, horrible disease. Won't go into all the physical things. Would it, affect the, it would have affected this man physically and socially because you couldn't live with a whole bunch of people if you had this skin disease. 
So he comes to Jesus and he kneels in front of him. This guy's hurting, right? And it moves Jesus. Another story to explore in Luke chapter 7. Uh, what's going on here is one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to have dinner with him. So pretty much it's going to be a pretty, I'm thinking, it's going to be a fairly pretty people dinner party. Pharisees were pretty well off. They had structures in their lives. Uh, um, uh, they would have been recognized in the community. So in this place, there were probably quite a few people, people who had it, to get, had it together, at least on the outside. So into this setting... In verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she wasn't invited guest, an invited guest. She sneaks in. And in verse 38, it says, As she stood behind him, that's Jesus, at his feet, weeping. Everybody say weeping. Weeping. She's the only one in the room weeping. She's not trying to keep it together. And then she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, this is my take on this situation. You got a large group of pretty people versus one broken person. By the way, side note, if you live, it says she's lived a sinful life. There are consequences, hopefully we can admit this, there are consequences for a sinful life, especially, can I talk about lifestyle? If you live, most of us, maybe some of us have seasons where we lived far from God in the midst of sin. Things get ugly in a sinful lifestyle. They, I mean, we try, we think, oh no, this is going to be good, but repeated sin increases pain in our life. If you've ever been in the midst of sexual immorality where you're like, oh no, this seems, sin lies a lot. It says, this is going to be a riot. And it may be a lot of fun for a little while, but over a time, the accumulation of sinful activities ends up creating pain. You think, well, I thought this would be a good idea, but now that I've, you know, done this thing 40 times, I just hurt in here. Does that, make, does that make sense? It, it's the same way with, it's not just like sexual immorality, but greed, man, you go after it and you go after it and go after it. Eventually what comes is, is I thought that this would work. This is not working. Does that make sense? So this woman had lived a sinful life and now she's there and all the pain is coming out. What I notice about the text is, if you read the rest of the story, Jesus connects and has more affinity for this woman than all of the pretty people in the room. In Matthew 9, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus is the doctor. So you can write this in. It's a, it's a theological principle. God is drawn to people in pain.
So how do you apply this concept into our lives? I've got three questions that might help. The first one is this, am I sharing my pain? And I'm ta not talking about sharing it with other people. Sometimes I think that's appropriate. Am I sharing my pain with God? And I'll just make this really quick. Don't fake it with God. God is not impressed when we suck it up and act like we're good when the Lord says, do you need anything? No way. I'm good, God. Even, does that make sense? That is, the, that is not wise. Because, and actually we could probably build a case. When we come to the Lord and go, no, I'm good. I got it. I'm good. I'm good. good. God says, okay, good luck with that. Have a, okay. Because he has affinity, leans into people who understand and confess their, and confess their need. Don't fake it with God. You can fake it with other people some. That's okay. So am I sharing my pain with God? Second question, am I noticing others' pain? This is for those of us who we're trying to be like Christ in the world. We're trying to make a difference in the world. I think it's easy to be drawn to people who have it kind of put together. But don't forget to regularly understand or acknowledge that person's hurting. I should probably take care of them, care about them, because that's what Jesus would do, would do if he's in the room. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So pause right now. Is there somebody in your life that's in pain? Emotional pain. Try to do something for them today. Just be aware. And I, I, I made a note here, and it may have been the Lord prompting me. Some of you are doing so well. Just keep caring. Keep caring. Don't let your heart get hard toward people in pain. Keep on caring. Okay. Uh, the last question to finish up this point is, am I promoting God to those in pain? Am I promoting God? This is just an evangelistic question. Don't forget... Many, many, many people, I would probably argue most people come to Christ in the midst of some pain or discomfort, and then someone says, have you thought about Jesus? Have you brought God into that circumstance? Can I invite you to my small group, to our church? God is, right? We should be helpful, but, but God forbid we just help, 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 and never get them to the Savior, because the Savior's the one who can really help. Just a reminder, if someone's hurting, it's a great open door to say, have you considered Jesus Christ? Can I pray for you? Those kind of things. So the first idea is Jesus cried about others' emotional pain. One more. Jesus cried about people doubting his heart. Doubting his heart. Now, you might have to work a little bit to uh, stay with me on this point. When I talk about his heart, I'm talking about his motives or whether he cared. So let me give you a word picture, then we'll get back to the text. I have, a, um, I have had for years a prepared parental speech for my children that I never got to use. But I have, I have daydreamed about the day that this would happen. I never got to use this speech, so maybe you can use it someday. 
This, it was going to happen something like this. I imagined one of my kids coming to me, my teenager or so, coming and say, Dad, you never cared. I just, because maybe I saw it in a movie or something, and I thought one of these days they're going to come and they're going to go, you never loved me. You never cared. Ready? You want to hear my speech? Don't you ever accuse me of not caring about you. I brought you home from the hospital. I changed your poopy diapers. I prayed for you virtually every stinking day of your life. I've sacrificed, we, my wife and I, tens of thousands of dollars for you and your education and your clothes. That's the speech. You can say a lot of things about your dad, but don't ever accuse me of not caring about you. That's my speech. Prepare that. Get it? Now, wait, wait. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever get to use it. Probably now that I've done that, one of them will come to me and go, Dad, you never cared. Bam! Now, why did I share that? Because the idea of telling me that I have not cared or accusing me is offensive to me because have I, have I been perfect at those things? No. But that, uh-uh-uh. So if we get back to the, the text, pay attention here. So in verse 36, it says, the Jews said, they're talking about Jesus, see how he loved him? But some of them, there's this group of people, they say this, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. Now, this is my interpretation of this. They're going, don't you think he should have? I don't think he really cared. He's this miracle-working guy. Apparently, he really didn't care enough about Lazarus to show up. Now, right after they say this, it's the next verse, and here's what it says. Jesus, right, once more deeply moved. This, this is, my hurt, this is my interpretation, this gets into Jesus' emotions. And if you explore that word, Jesus does not become, he's not about to cry. He doesn't get sad. This once more deeply moved, we'll put the, the definition up on the screen. Look at what it, this is what's going on in, <laughs> in Jesus' soul. It's to be moved with anger. It's to admonish sternly. It's to express displeasure. And literally, it means to snort like an angry horse. He is honked off inside. So this next one is a fill in the blank. I don't think it's perfect. But it's, it's something like this. Jesus does not like to be accused of failing or being unloving or not caring. By the way, Jesus has, could have a prepared speech, right? Son of God, he could say, I left heaven. I've been traveling around in this human body. I've been serving people day and night for the last year and a half. I've been staying holy my whole existence so that I can die on a cross for your sin. I've healed thousands of people now. Don't you be standing off to the side questioning whether I care or not. I think he's offended. 
And just to add to this, if you can hang in there, Jesus then does what I would call one of the most flamboyant miracles in the New Testament. So let's dive in to the rest of the story. Jesus then, it's after this, he gets all cranked up and, it says, and he says, take, take away the stone. And they say, I don't think that's a good idea. It's going to smell. It's been in there four days. He says, take away the stone. And then in verse 43, this is unique because most of the time when Jesus would do miracles, some of you know this, he would tend to do them quietly. If someone was sick, he would go there. There are times he would go into a person's room. He would keep everybody else outside. He didn't, he could have, you know, been all big. And, but most of the time, and sometimes he would even say to someone when he'd healed them, he would say, I healed you. Don't tell anybody. He tended to be a quiet miracle worker, but not today, not in this context, because it says in verse something right there, it says Jesus, right? He, they take the stone away. He doesn't go into the tomb. He stands out there and he yells. He cries out. He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. How I many you know everybody's watching, right? They're all looking at the hole in the rock thinking, are you kidding me? Then Jesus comes, I'm sorry, then Lazarus, right, comes walking out. Take some time and think about what that'd be like. Lazarus, like, holy, like, what in the, where, like, I don't, wouldn't that be crazy? Okay, never mind. It's just fun for me to think about. I thought this down. I thought, I thought about this. I wrote it down, not a fill in the blank. But Jesus responded to the skeptics by showing off, maybe, a little bit. He didn't like it when people were off to the side, accusing him of failing at caring. At... So how do we wrap this talk up? Just a couple things to close. This is just some advice. First one is be cautious about accusing God. We would be wise. I think it's okay to question and wonder, but we should be cautious about accusing God of not caring. By the way, if God does nothing for me the rest of my life, he has already proved his love for us when he sent his son to die on a cross and to raise from the grave, okay? He doesn't have to do anything else for us. Chances are he will. He doesn't have to. Let's be cautious about accusing God. And then with this whole picture in mind, this whole story, we should still be eager to bring him your brokenness. We should bring him our brokenness. There's a whole nother point in this talk that I'm just going to hit. Just a reminder, this last picture of Jesus, he raised a guy from the dead. The guy's heart hadn't, been, hadn't beated in at least four days. How much rigor mortis is in that body? The decay process has already started. There is nothing that Jesus can't speak to. You can think, well, this is dead. 
Oh, there's no way that's coming back to life. Oh, there's no hope in this situation. I would say, wrong. Wrong. Because of who Jesus Christ is, he can speak to dead things. Dead, cold, hopeless things. And those things can come back to life. It's just a good reminder for us. So if you've got something that's dead-ish, you think, oh, this is dead. Oh, my, my emotional life, it's dead. I'm just going to be sad the rest of my life. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, my, my relationships, no way. I haven't, uh-uh. We consistently get in the presence of God. Things come to life. Why don't you stand and we'll close. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.